Welcome to Watching Watchmen, a Lost Boys podcast with me, Jack, and me, Jacob. Hello, welcome to Watching Watchmen, podcast from the Lost Boys. Who is me and Jack? Me and Jacob. Yeah. We've watched episode three of, of well, the only season of Watchmen to date, um, which is a new show from Damon Lindelof. And boy, is it shaping up to be a classic. What do you think of this episode, Jacob? This episode, which is killed, she was killed by space junk, Jack. That one. <laughs> I think it's an absolute fantastic episode. Good. Of television. What do you think? I really enjoyed it too. I thought it was great. So it reminded me of. So we always bring uh, the discussion to the leftovers very early on in our podcast because that was obviously Lindelof's last HBO show. But it reminded me of that uh, episode where it kind of, everything's presented as it is. And then I think it's episode three, it jumps to Christopher Eccleston's character and you don't see the characters really that you've seen in the previous two because it's focused on different characters completely. And this is what this does with... Um, Gene Smart's character, Laurie. And it just reminded me of that formula. And I love that. Yeah, it, it takes you away from Angela Bar and introduces you to... Laurie Blake. Laurie Blake. Laurie Laurie Blake, who is known in the graphic novels. As Silk Spectre 2. Silk Spectre the second. Yeah, yeah, Abdul Mateen isn't the only second around here. She's played by uh, Gene Smart. Who's great in this fucking episode. She tears the show up like a bloody whirlwind. Yeah, she's great. Is she? She she chews the scenery of every scene. <laughs> she's really funny as well. Yeah, she's very good. Really funny, and that's obviously down to the script from Damon and Ilya Bok, who did a few leftovers episodes. So it's a great episode. We it feels quite strange because all of a sudden, where the first two episodes weren't really, it didn't quite feel like Watchmen. You know, mm. there weren't there weren't the characters we know and love from the graphic novels, but then suddenly. They're all here. They're all getting mentioned. Yeah, there's a lot of mentions. Continued mentions for Dr. Manhattan especially. Yeah. He got mentioned quite a few times last week, but yeah. We even get a little explainer on who they all are, what they did. Yeah. Just to clue everyone in, in case you forgot. Are these in the the joke scenes? In the joke scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So should we start with these scenes? It starts with uh, Laurie going to a, a weird building where she can kind of leave messages for Dr. Manhattan, who is... Still on Mars, as far as everyone knows. You know, she's upset, isn't she? Because she loved him. She did love him. They were lovers. And then he kind of absconded and left her, and she doesn't think he gives a shit about her or the world or whatever. Well, he's given up on humanity. That's at least what everyone thinks. So, firstly, before she gives these messages, we see a name, and it says Triu. T-R-I-E-U. Triu. Triu. Any thoughts on Triu? No. No. Who's Triu? I don't know, but I I I know that a, a cast member has signed up to play someone called Lady Triu. Oh. So I'm sure that's going to come back into play in a few weeks. Wait, when's this, sorry? You know the beginning when she goes to voice uh, to record a thing and it says, you have blah, blah, blah to record. Yes. It's like the logo is Triu. Oh, okay. So that's like the company that kind of built this machine where Laurie can come to. So it's like the Dharma of Watchmen. <laughs> I guess you could say. We should give some context to that. If you don't know what Dharma <laughs> is, go listen to our other podcast. <laughs> it's a TV show called Lost. Yes, that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This whole setting, you see some things in the background. You've got the Iberian pig, the square pub. This is a real like, location and it's in Atlanta, Georgia. And it's like, it's like a ruined place called Decatur Square. Okay. Yeah. So that's, if you're wondering where that is, that's, uh, that's Atlanta. 
Just so you know. You, you happy you know that? Yeah, I'm happy I know that. Should we talk about the title of the episodes? Yeah, sure. It's called She Was Killed by Space Junk. Do you have any thoughts on that? A few. I mean, not too many, because I presume the space junk it's talking about is what we see at the end of the episode, with the car coming down from something random. Yes. You know, we don't know what it is, but it's it's heavily implied with uh, the very, very end of the episode when we see a little... S- twinkle in the sky mm. not a twinkle but you know what i mean a little flash a little flash that it's d manhattan the doc himself indicating i do care about your love i mean what's quite funny is that obviously she's doing her detective work looking for jug crawford's murderer and whoever has dropped this thing in front of her if will was inside which is where we last saw him yeah then the answer to her investigation would have just been dropped in front of her dropped right under her nose exactly so yeah i i i think you're correct in assuming that that's the space junk it refers to um but i did a little google and i found that space junk is a song by devo and the lyric goes she was walking all alone down the street in the alley her name was sally i never touched her she never saw it when she was hit by space junk when she was smashed by space junk when she was killed by space junk now, the thing that stands out to me there is her mum is called Sally in the comics, right? So, Laurie Blake's mother in the comics is called Sally. Sally Jupiter. So, it's all it's all tied in, isn't it, here? I kind of like that. Well, Damon does love a good song. And not only that, but when she goes to her flat in the beginning of the episode, after the bank robbery situation, which we'll talk about in a minute, she asks her voice activation to play Devo, <laughs> who is the name of the band. Yep. That sings Space Junk. Nice. So, yeah. It's all tying in. Even though that song is mongoloid, which is a pretty offensive term, pretty offensive racial term, before I understand. So that obviously ties in in another way altogether. Yeah. Yeah. All placed there for reasons. Probably. Yeah, I mean, definitely, I'm sure. <laughs> Let's talk about the bank robbery scene because this is a really good introduction to uh, Laurie post the jokes scene, which we'll come back to because that's kind of like laid throughout the episode. That's through the episode, yeah. I mean, we don't really see her straight away until this bit, do we? Yeah, and the she's camera like walking, comes in. feet goes up the body, and then boom, boom! It's Laurie, Jane someone Smart. you recognise from the comics. Finally, Emmy winner Jane Smart. She goes in. Do you want to talk about this scene? Let's what? talk about it. Yeah, yeah. Do, yeah, do you want to talk about it? I you can talk us through it. If you want to talk us through it? Go. She. It looks like she's going to rob the bank. You think she's turned to crime? You're like. Crikey, things have been bad for a post-watchman. <laughs> and then, bam, she's on the good side. Well, <laughs> So she's basically uh, d- does these like little things where the FBI tip off these masked vigilantes to come in and prevent crime. But because they're illegal, <laughs> she's like, ah, sorry, we've caught you. Then everyone turns on the vigilante and then arrest them. Yeah, but then everyone turns on the FBI after that. Yeah. This is obviously quite a fraught world. I mean, people don't like masks. People don't want them. But at the same time, people do want heroes. Yeah. You know, the FBI doesn't want people who dress up and look like Batman just going around doing stuff. And then... Or in this case, Prevenger. <laughs> no, she says, she says Revenger. There was the old one who was Mr. Shadow, and then it's Revenger. But yeah, I mean, it, it does make you think because just the whole fact of who... who the question of the show has been, who who am I? Mm. Who are you? Can you wear a mask or not? People don't like the Rorschachs wearing a mask, but then there are obviously other people, like other white supremacists who do like them wearing masks. People don't like the police wearing masks, but the police wearing masks helps. But also police wearing masks 
causes outrage from Rorschachs and people. Yeah. And then there are mask vigilantes who wear masks who the FBI don't want wearing masks. Some people don't want wearing masks, but other people <laughs> do want wearing masks. Yeah. The whole debate about masks in general. Laurie, it, we kind of assume that doesn't like the masks or the mask vigilantes because of her past history and her experience that is seen in Watchmen. But one person who really does love the masks is uh, slimy old Keen Jr. Who shows up at, Lo- at Laurie's apartment uh, and he's like, yeah, there's, there's this whole thing that's happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and uh, we want you to come along. And she's like, mm, you know. So she thinks that the, the crime is rife there because of, I think it, they call it DOPA. DOPA, yeah, they Defense do. of Police Act, which she mugs off. She's like, uh, <laughs> you're calling it DOPA? And this all started from White Knight. Yes, yes. So it's being trialed in Tulsa, and then he's hoping to bring it out. This is like his big thing, isn't it? Well, because he wants to be president, right? And he's thinking it will help his case. And I mean, I just don't trust the whole bloody thing. I mean, everyone's got a thing. You know, Trump had the wall. (laughs) This is his, yeah, masks, doper. This is his wall. This is his wall. He thinks masks saves lives, and he says that crime rate has been down 77% or something like that. Um, which is a big margin, but it is a good stat. But still, they have a bit of a thing going on now with old Judd dying. Uh, good or bad Judd, we still don't really know. But I'm edging on the side of very, 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 very bad. I mean, Laurie comes to the conclusion that it was bad very quickly. Yeah. And if there's a woman I'm going to agree with, it's Laurie Blake. It's Laurie. But the one thing that makes me really worried about Keane as well is like last week we were pissed off him because he kind of said out in the open about Angela being a police officer. And you're like, yeah. you don't do that, mate, because you, you That's know. That's his whole thing. Dopa, come on. <laughs> um, but he says to Laurie something about on behalf of the American taxpayer. Now we know that. I, I'm assuming we know black people don't pay taxes in this world because of red fidations, which is what we've been told via newspaper headlines. I don't think it's that they don't pay taxes. I it, think it's last just... last week in in the headlines it said that, didn't it? Oh, I thought it was just reparations for that incident. I think it's via not paying taxes. Ah, uh, okay. And people are are protesting that. Uh, so the way he says that, it's almost like already pitting pitting. You know. One against the other. And I just don't like him. I don't like that. Just a note here. I did listen back to some of our episodes and I said respirations instead of reparations. Oh, God. And it is reparations because... Respiration is when you... When uh, you're breathing. (gasps) As we know, Damon came up with a whole idea of Watchmen based on an essay called the... The argument for reparations. Reparations, yeah. Is it the argument? It's something along those lines. Mm. Regina shared it on Twitter as well. The case for reparations, I believe. And the whole piece is about why black people in the United States should be given money and stuff Mm. for the things they went through. And basically it goes back to even the whole case in, in the essay. Have you read it? Uh, yes, I have. In, it, in the wake of Watchmen. Yeah, in the wake of Watchmen, I did as well. Because it's in the Atlantic. It's well worth a read because there are bits of it you can just see Damon's mind clicking. Wearing, like yeah. there's a bit in it which is talking about how in the war, lots of black Americans went out to Europe and saw that actually black people were treated as everyone else out there and not as second class citizens mm. like they are in the United States. And that is obviously, we see that at the yeah, beginning of episode two. And what they're talking about in this one is a lot about Chicago. In I mean, in the essay, they're talking about Chicago a lot and how people in America, black citizens, were kind of put out into different tiers of housing 
um, are made to pay different rates to, as white Americans. And that's obviously still, even though that's not such a thing now where people lended money by banks fairly now, yeah, but they yeah. weren't then, but the effects of that are still being felt. Hence why reparations and why, well, the case for reparations. That's just, that's, I mean, it's like a thousand, 10,000 word essay. Mm -hmm. That's like a bit of it. So here it's quite interesting that obviously something terrible happened in White Knight, which seems to have been the crux of red fedations. Mm -hmm. And now there's a uprising about that. Is it, I, I mean, I guess this is like a theoretical case of if repar reparations actually happened. Mm -hmm. And Damon's envisioning it as, you know, it would cause anger. Yeah, it would. I mean, among awful people like who live in Nixonville, it certainly does, would cause anger, wouldn't it? Nixonville, I like the naming. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. But th th obviously in Tulsa, Oklahoma, it's a hotbed of just awful stuff. So it's, it's going to go down badly. I mean, I think that... I've got some views about the whole thing, Seventh Cavalry thing that happens in this episode with the the suicide bo uh, bombing, attempted suicide bombing, but they wanted to um, kidnap Joe Keane, right? Yeah. Junior. And that ends in a, in a crazy old way. But if you ask me, I just think it's like kind of some weird orchestration of Judd beyond the grave. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I just don't like it. I don't like it either. You know, I have similar feelings about Do you? it because Keen doesn't seem like a good guy. Mm, Keen right now, I put him on the bad side. But then when they're like saying you're a race traitor and we want to abduct you and you know let me take him else, I'm gonna blow it up, blow it all up, whatever. Angela says something. No, no, it's Laurie who who ends up killing the guy and then realizing swiftly afterwards that he wasn't bluffing about the bomb going off if his heart stops. <laughs> yeah. um, so Angela jumps into gear, gets everyone away and then pushes his body into the grave and Judd's coughing over it and saves everyone. Laurie says later that she was like convinced that that was a lie because it takes time, she says. It takes time to wire it so that it will activate if your heart stops. Now, Judd's only been dead for a few days and a lot has been made over the fact that Judd's being buried quite quickly yep. despite it being a murder investigation if it's taken time I don't know could this be a weird ground plan well it, it does feel like that I mean we've spoken before about Judd obviously he has the KKK outfit in his mm -hmm. wardrobe and we've spoken about him being a villain it wouldn't be a stretch of the imagination to think that you know I mean he he's unholstered the policeman's guns mm -hmm. in a way that wants to aggravate the Rorschachs and now this has happened. Like it, he's playing. Absolutely. He did that just before his death, didn't he? Yeah. yeah he's yeah. playing 4D chess. Like he knows he's going <laughs> to die mm. or at least something's going to happen. And that this is going to be an opportunity for like his boys, mm -hmm. the seventh cavalry. And like, he's like this weird, like martyr beyond the grave. Yeah. He is a master racist orchestrator. I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> we don't get him in this episode, do we? We don't get any, um, any scenes with, with Judd. I mean, we barely get Angela scenes, but... I mean, we get uh, his whole funeral. We get his funeral. Yeah. <laughs> we get his funeral. Yeah, yeah, we get his dead body. And are you still on the side of his wife? Do you think she doesn't realise any of this? I don't trust her either. Mm, I don't know, because she did invite Laurie up as well. And she then found the thing behind the, the wardrobe. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, that was amazing. I feel like Laurie would have sussed out the wife. Do you reckon? Yeah. Mentioned me. something. I think something would have happened. I don't think the wife would have been like, oh, the only person who's been in here is Angela. Yeah. Now you come in too. Quite true. That's a good point. 
I don't know. And it's like this crazy, like, deep cover thing. It's like if we keep Angela close and Angela performs a eulogy at the wedding and, and he literally told her what to sing. Uh, they, they had it planned just in case something happened. It's almost like the perfect cover. I can't be racist, you yeah. know? And it, it's... I just... Judd. And he and still w- goes down as the hero, doesn't he? And we should say that he was the villain in the musical Oklahoma, which has been brought to our attention by so, a lovely yeah. follower. On on Twitter, someone pointed out that Judd is the name of the bad guy in Oklahoma. In Oklahoma. And so it makes sense for him to be the bad guy here too. Absolutely. The song, by the way, that he gets uh, Angela to sing at the wedding, it's the last roundup song, uh, which is performed by Gene Autry. Um, uh, yeah. And Regina performs it very movingly. Yeah, Especially when you know that she's like, really questioning her you know the intentions of her buddy it must be so hard for her to get up there and act like everything's okay and the whole scene is ticking going through it as well it's yeah like, tick, tick, tick. so this is the answer to what those seventh cavalry guys were making in last week's episode yes we were wondering about that weren't we um and we saw and it here we saw it here yeah it's horrible and when you bear in mind that she's just seen a weird well, her grandfather would be taken away <laughs> in a car <laughs> yeah. like the night before uh, up into the sky. She's had quite a few days, Angela. Yeah, she has. She's had quite a few days. I mean, it's quite funny because in this episode, Angela does seem like a side character. Yeah, it's like it's very much like the Justin Theroux in The Leftovers when he's like cast to one side for a few episodes. Yeah, exactly. Love it. It's done really well. But also, because you're seeing someone else do detective work. And Laurie just goes in that. She, she's just so good. She just nails everything. Like, even um, in the, the last scene when they have a confrontation. Mm. And it's like, oh, yeah, I worked out the KKK thing. Yeah, yeah. I already know that. And it's like, God, she's good. Yeah, so, <laughs> so but just, she, she doesn't know. She, she thinks he's bad, but she doesn't know what it was in the thing yet, does she? Because she says to Angela... Oh yeah, can you believe there was a there was a secret compartment, which is really funny how she words it. But then she knows Angela found it through her deduction skills or whatever, and then she kind of holds out like a little olive branch. Says, "Come on, almost like let's work together here." Or yeah. you know, she thinks she he's she. Does, I don't think she knows the extent of his badness because she thinks that Angela might be working for him and has got rid of something for him. I think she kind of knows. I think she's. This whole scene's about her sussing out Angela, trying to work out what side she's on. Yeah, because she's just very skeptical of anyone who wears a mask. Basically, well, she and and I mean, she says she's anti vigilante task force, right? When she yeah. first meets Angela and, and her family, and in a great scene, you, and you're kind of waiting for them to meet, aren't you? Yeah, <laughs> these yeah. two amazing female characters, mm. so strong in their own way, and uh, she says she's anti vigilante task force. She's heard about. Uh, Sister Knight through Looking Glass. She puts two and two together because she says it's Angela Aber and then Looking Glass kind of confirms it. Because I think that guy, by the way, is just good through and through. Who, Looking Glass? Yeah. He can't lie. He's just got this moral compass, I think. Yeah, he seems like a good guy. I like him. Wade Tillman, his real name is. I don't know if we've learned that before, but we hear it here. I like him. But yeah, anyway, when she... I digress. Later on, when she says to Angela, she refers to her sister night to her face. Yeah. It's like, oh, the gauntlet has been laid down. I know. You're ready for... Because they're both fighting for the same thing. You know they're fighting for good. And it's like, oh, you don't want to see them go up against each other. But you do know that they're both going to go finding stuff out. Mm. And then, no doubt, 
they'll come together and it will be I hope like awesome so. team up. <laughs> I asked that Regina in, in the interview that's going to run later on this week about that particular scene when she kind of rejects the offer of teaming up and pours the coffee down. It's such a good scene. Yeah. Such a good scene. And um, she, Regina was so shifty about that scene. <laughs> so shifty. She just like couldn't, she's like, oh, made made me feel like that was like a bit more crucial scene than I even, than I even thought first watching it. I th- yeah, it does come across as very crucial, and also, but it also feels like they're almost holding something back a bit. Mm. Both actresses are just like, ah, they're like on the verge of exploding. Yeah, but they're not quite there yet. It's like there's definitely going to be something really big around the corner. Yeah, there's going to be a huge scene between the two of them. There really is. It's like um, Regina and Carrie Coon in The Leftovers. Yeah. Whenever them two faced off against each other or in one scene, you were like, whoa, mm. you just the world just melted away and you just watched. Regina's so good in that show. Regina is so good. And Jean, oh, just so good. If you're a Regina King stan and haven't watched Leftovers, go watch it now. Go bloody watch it. And I should say, Jean Smart, I've been a fan of her ever since I watched 24. Um, she was she played Martha Logan the president's the first lady in it and she is incredible and then she absolutely she's in Frasier as well not yeah. she won a few Emmys for that but she was in Fargo the second season playing like a really scary like head of a uh, crime syndicate really scary and unnerving really good actress mm. love her yeah she's great and she leads this entire episode basically yeah so this is so we all the scenes we've been speak, speaking about lead up to that showdown so let's talk about her journey to Tulsa she takes some young FBI guy with her <laughs> what's his name Percy something like something that, like that. <laughs> but he's like he she thinks he's like some weird fan of like the Minutemen and everything and wants to just get her autograph but he's she's like, not in the Minutemen oh sorry okay she's in Crime Busters okay so her mum was a Minuteman Sally Jupiter was a Minuteman yeah she thinks he's some fan of these like costume vigilantes uh, that she was that she was was and was friends with, and wants an autograph. But no, he he just did a thesis on them and it was kind of like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Says that he was like drawn to FBI work because of her. So you know, don't insult his intelligence. He's but just he, a nerd. He's a nerd. He's a big old nerd. You know. But he does. Uh, he does quote uh, Ozymandias by Shelley, the poem to her. He says, "Look on, look on my works, ye mighty and despair." When they're looking over that millennium clock structure. Yeah. Yeah. Do we know anything about that? I don't know. Mm. I would I would like to know if anyone has any ideas. Maybe it's where the doomsday clock was. Maybe it's where the doomsday clock was. Yeah. But I'm not 100% sure. If anyone has any ideas, not yeah, please do Let slide into our, our, our mentions. But yeah, she, she, she warms to Percy by the end. I love the scene at the end where he says, can I have your autograph now after all the shit's gone down? She's like, yeah, yeah that was almost funny. <laughs> <laughs> that was almost funny. And then takes his coffee. Yeah, takes his coffee. Just give For a minute, I was like, God, she loves her coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Those I... are two big coffees. <laughs> Huge. I quite liked how when we first meet him, he's doing the projection. And then we see a bit of Rorschach's journal. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Just in case anyone's interested. Which at the time, I, I was a bit like, what? That doesn't really make sense. But if he is this history dork yeah. who knows all about them, it does make more sense. Just trying to give everyone a bit of uh, bit of background. I like how everyone just 
the whoever the chief is there just goes like, no one cares about Rorschach anymore. Yeah, you know, it's not the eighties. <laughs> yeah, which is obviously the comic books came out in the eighties, yeah. but also it's just quite funny because so many people love Rorschach as a character. And one thing Alan Moore always thought he he never liked Rorschach as like a person or anything. He, yeah, obviously. It's a, he's a great character, but people seem to idolize him almost. And Alan Moore, there was an interview with him where he was just like, I get weirded out by people who like Rorschach because he's this douchebag. Yeah. Which is tr- so true because yeah. he is just a bit of a, a dick. He obviously does some things for good and things like that, but people idolize him. They, I mean, that's how you get the 7th Car- Cavalry. Well, that's it. That, yeah. I mean, if those are the people that Alan Moore's worried about. Yeah, yeah. he is. Yeah. Like, and Damon's kind of taking that to the extreme. I love the idea of Damon Lindelof sitting down, reading all these Alan Moore kind of uh, interviews and things and just absorbing it all and then putting it all into the show. It's almost like he's a filter for... Alan Moore's thoughts. Yeah. Like, you know, newer thoughts, post-Watchmen. It's a, it's a real shame that Alan Moore's kind of like denounced since he doesn't want anything to do with it because I think Alan Moore's kind of assuming that any uh, any adaptation or any version is going to be like just his pages rehashed on screen. Mm. But this is such a, a unique take on the material. Well, you, you've also he, got Dave Gibbons here. And who is a big part of the show. Who and, is a big and, part and, of the show. And it, I hope would encourage Alan Moore to uh, to watch it. Yeah, but I mean, if if that's your, I know Alan Moore's written a lot, but if that's your masterpiece and you do are very much don't want other people touching it, yeah. I do get it. And for someone to come along and kind of buy it, have the rights and things like that, you would be a bit like, oh, why are you doing that? Someone just needs to tell him it's fine. Damon Lindelof is a genius. <laughs> someone just needs to tell him that. Be like, it's fine. <laughs> you know, Damon even acknowledged recently that someone would probably take Lost and do something else with it one day. And he, he says he'd be excited to see what they do with it. But, he, you know, their story's done. Yeah. It's, it's a weird world we live in where your material can just be taken out of your hands. And well, it's like George Lucas with Star Wars. Yeah. You know, he had all his Star Wars films planned out. And then J.J., Another you know, genius, the Jesus. Big, the big Lost connection. The guys from Lost all pillaging other people's work. <laughs> pillaging. <laughs> I mean, I love JJ, obviously. I interviewed him for Star Wars as well. Which yeah, which is that's sick. And you told him about Lost Boys podcast. And I told him about Lost Boys podcast. And he loved it. Um, but yeah, for JJ to come around and be like, well, George, you know, he met with George Lucas. We spoke about that. It's that weird mixture of you're not recreating something as the creator really wanted it you're still changing it into your vision. You know, mm. there's no way you can do what they wanted. You've still got to make your thing. I guess. So it's really hard, even for, I imagine for George to look at these, his Star Wars films and be like, well, that's not how I would have done it. Mm. Alan Moore, they're as good as Damon's version is going to be, it is. You know, these first three episodes have all been banging. There's still going to be part of him which goes, not how I would have done it. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, okay. Granted, I'm being like, oh, but it's Damon. But yeah, sure. If I'd written Watchmen in the 80s, I'd probably be the same. Yeah, you would be. You'd be a bit miffed. But at the same time, your work's not changing. Like, your original text is still there, and it's how it's going to be. I guess it it's just quite fun to see these characters now. Yeah. Even if it's perhaps not how Alan Moore envisioned them. But at the same time, like, it does feel like this is Laurie Blake. Yeah. It doesn't feel like a new character. No, not at all. 
still feels like her. At least I think it does. No, I think it does as well, definitely. And it's just interesting to see how... I mean, Dr. Manhattan has been gone for 30 years. Yeah. You would be bitter and very, very... Uh, what's the word? Uh, strong-willed, I guess, in your... Yeah, you just be, you would be. And she is exactly how I'd envision Laurie Blake to be 30 years on. Yeah. I mean, I didn't have the blue dildo in mind when I was thinking about it. People's, people's got needs, mate. People have needs. <laughs> That's quite a funny addition. Well, what I love is not only does she open her, her, her little suitcase, which you're like, what's in there? And then you see it's just like this framed Esquire photo of her Dr. Manhattan, which is sick. Like, I'd love to like buy that. <laughs> um, and then like this giant Dr. Manhattan dildo. And then in the next scene, she goes to old Percy next door and obviously has sex with him. But not only that, she's made him wear the eye mask with holes in. So he he thought, I better buy some masks to uh, disguise my identity when I get to Tulsa. And she like berates him for it. And she's made him wear it. Yeah. It's quite funny. Yeah, it's quite funny. And completely like just 20 seconds, boom. And you're like, yeah, I love it. I do quite like the idea of her seeing him doing the projection at the beginning and being like him or yeah. bang him. Yeah, bring yeah, him along. Yeah, bring him along. <laughs> Maybe I could get some use out of him. Yeah. A few other things I liked about Laurie was uh, the owl called Who. <laughs> <laughs> Made yes. me laugh a lot. <laughs> like that. What's the owl called? Who? Who? Yeah, who? <laughs> no, who? That's his name. Great. What I also liked was the picture behind her of the Andy Warhol style picture of her, Dr. Manhattan. Uh, Ozymandias Night Owl, yeah. I mean, just put that on eBay. Yeah. It'll go, go for millions. <laughs> that was a great print. Um, There was one line that Keane said to her at the beginning where he wanted her to come to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and she was a she was quite antsy and wary of his intentions before asking her. But she said something. He said something to her really interesting. Keane says to her when, she, when she's like, ah, oh, so you just want to be president or whatever, solve this crime. He says, you know, Laurie, a president can uh, pardon anyone he wants. And then he says, he could even get your owl out of that cage, referring to who? What does that mean? What's he referring to here? I'm presuming that night owl's in prison. That would be a very literal observation. Yeah, that that's definitely... So night owl is in prison. Yeah, the, the, the night owl, the second. Wow. Her man. Yeah. This is, this is, this is cool. This is big stuff. Yeah, this is one of the comic book references, isn't it? Yeah. That we were talking about. Night Owl, last we see of him, he's in a relationship with Laurie. So this is Dan Dryberg in the graphic novels. And he's seen in a relationship uh, with Laurie. Manhattan sees them seemingly happy and leaves to stay in Mars. And I think Laurie then reconciles with her mum. And they talk about the fact that her father is the comedian, which is a big revelation in the comics. Uh, so yeah, Night Owl must have gone to prison in the past thirty years because that that's a that's a very loaded comment that Keen makes to her. Yeah, I mean we haven't actually spoken about where Laurie's been for thirty years as well because the two of them after they go and see Sally, her mum, and they take on new identities as Sam and Sandra. Mm. So what happens in between? They obviously get caught because in Watchmen they they know about. Adrian Veidt's big plan where he kills three million people yeah. to save the world. Ozymandias is obviously suffering for something. I feel like he's feeling the effects of that yeah, because he's locked on this estate with a gamekeeper I mean, and stuff. We'll get to that. Which we'll get on to. But something's happened. They must have 
maybe they've been caught for that, or maybe they've done something I mean, else. Night Owl did break Rorschach out, uh, break, uh, Rorschach out of prison. Yeah. That's a naughty thing to have done. That is a naughty thing to have done. I mean, all of them should be in trouble for the letting... I mean, when Rorschach's journal gets published, yeah, the world knows that they're all in on this huge plan to kill. Well, not in on it, but, but they, they know about it. They know they, about it. Yeah. They didn't stop it or they couldn't stop it. And then they're trying to hush it up almost. Yeah, it's interesting. So are they are they criminals for this or have they done something else? But this is the reason Laurie's like, yeah, okay, I'll go to Tulsa. But he's also promising that he can... It seem, It feels like Keane's almost like, I can pardon you as well. That was kind of how I saw the scene. You think? He's saying, I can pardon you yeah. and Night Owl. Yeah. And so then you can both be free together, which they're not at the moment. I feel like she's... Because it, it feels like she doesn't want to be doing this. No. But she's her hands are tied. Mm. So maybe there's something being promised there. It's very interesting. Something to mull over. Something to mull over. Um, when she gets to Tulsa, she stays in uh, the Black Freighter Motel. Now, that's a classic comic book magazine that is featured within the pages of Watchmen, isn't it? Hello. Yeah, you know, you know the pirate stuff in, in, the, in the Watchmen graphic novel. Yes. That's Black Freighter. And we actually see the flag from it uh, later on in the Ozymandias scenes, which I think we should probably talk about now. Can we talk about Ozymandias? Yes. Jeremy Irons? We have confirmation. Official confirmation that Jeremy Irons plays Adrian Veidt, who is presumed dead, but is clearly That's not. That's mentioned again in this episode that he's presumed dead. Yeah, by um, the young guy. By Percy. Percy. So the Ozymandias scenes, what the hell <laughs> do you think is going on there? I mean, we've seen clones. Mm-hmm. We've seen him experimenting with some scuba suit thing where that die where one of the where Mr. Phillips suddenly freezes to death. Yeah. Or something crazy like that. So he's reading books on megatons, which is a unit of explosive power that's mainly used for nuclear weapons. Didn't read that. What? <laughs> Not reading that off a page somewhere. No, I mean, <laughs> I had to Google that one and learn it. But yeah, so he's obviously doing some weird experiment that I feel like is involving time travel or something. Time travel? Yeah, I personally think it is. That's interesting. Yeah. Why do you think time travel? What makes you think that? Because he says something about taking a step into the beyond or something. No, so he says something about uh, venturing to the great beyond. So even I'm thinking time travel, he's trying to send him flying into space for some reason. Because he seems to be wearing something that resembles like a weird, like weird astronaut. Yeah, he does look like a weird astronaut. I mean, the obvious thing... Say with maybe that he's trying to go see Dr. Manhattan. Yeah, it's obviously something to do with Dr. Manhattan, isn't it? Yeah, something freaky's going on here. Dr. Manhattan's definitely made him a load of clones or something. Yeah. Because he makes another reference to how stupid they are and how they don't understand certain things. We even get another rendition of He's a Jolly Good Fellow. <laughs> I mean, it's a repeat. It's a, You mentioned simulation last week. Yeah, there was a, there was a theory going on around online that this is all a simulation. I mean, it's not out of the, it's not out of the ordinary. That's not out of the ordinary. I don't quite think it is. No. I feel like he's trapped somewhere, but I don't know where. So we learn that he has been imprisoned and he's kind of got this this border he's not allowed to cross else he'll get shot by someone known as the game warden. And the game warden doesn't indicate to this just to him by telling him that we learn it through a letter that he sends him. 
and says, next time you try and cross the border, um, I will shoot you. And then Ozymandias gets Miss Crookshanks to write a letter back on the typewriter that basically says, you think I'm some weird kind of, you know, maniacal figure who wants to cause destruction, but I'm not, I'm a good man or whatever. Like protesting innocence. And that's when we learn he's called um, Adrian V and we see him in the um, Ozymandias outfit. So he's obviously being punished. You you said in week one that he's being punished for his misdeeds. Yeah. And it feels like that's correct. Yeah, I, I, I still feel that way. I think it's quite funny having the game warden who looks very Adam of the Ants <laughs> kind of looking out and watching over him. And then, I mean, the scene ends with Ozzy getting on his gear again and then going out basically for a battle something <laughs> he says we hunt again at midnight yeah and I feel midnight like... another bloody yeah ref- reference to midnight something very strange that happened to me in real life relating to this scene go on I went, the day I watched this episode all day I was singing uh, Desmond and the Decker um, or Desmond Decker uh, Israelites the song the Israelites all day I was singing it at work someone was like why do you keep singing that song I was like I don't know came home watched this uh, episode and that song came on whoa well, you watched this before. Though. No, I watched it that night. Damon, he's he's messing with you. Telepathic. He knows what's up. So weird. Um, earlier on, young FBI dude theorizes that V maybe may have got plastic surgery and is living incognito, <laughs> which is quite funny because they're all they've all got theories, as do we. As do we. You know. So what do you what do you think is going on there? You... So I do think I agree with you now that he's being punished for what he did in the Watchmen comics, uh, which we have confirmation here again is he sent a squid to Earth because Laurie says it in her joke. It's Doctor Manhattan killed three million people. Killed three million people, and she mentions that he's sent to hell in the joke. The whole thing is they're all sent to hell, right? Maybe he's in some weird purgatory. Maybe they're hell. all in their <laughs> they're all in their own hells. I can't believe after years of going, it's not purgatory about Lost, which it wasn't. So if you think Lost did end with purgatory or anything like that, then just stop listening to this podcast now. <laughs> I don't want your ears. I mean, I don't voice. know. I don't know. It still could be purgatory. It's, me. I mean, it's not. It was never going to be that. <laughs> but now I'm going, this could be purgatory. It's not purgatory. It's, no, this is... Purgatory. I, this is some inflicted prison that he's in. Don't know whether it's... It's definitely not self-inflicted, so I'm presuming it's Dr. Manhattan inflicted. I mean, Dr. Manhattan's in his own hell because he is a human, and I think he does... You know, in the books, it's implied that he still feels for the human race. Mm. And that... I mean, if he's still sending weird things to Earth now, doing weird things, then he obviously still does care in some way. There's a bigger plan going on, and Dr. Manhattan is overlooking it all. Yeah, but I, as I say, he's in he's in his own personal hell because he's away from everyone, away from Laurie and stuff, and can't intervene. He can intervene in certain ways, but he's still trapped on Mars. And then you've got Night Owl, who's is he awesome. trapped or is he choosing to be there? I, th- but they all hate him. The world hates him. Yeah, so so he's tra- he's like banished himself there. Yeah, well, he okay. can't come back because everyone would be like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, get him. And Night Owl's in his own hell because he's in prison. Yeah. We 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 think, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it would make sense if he is because even the symbology between who the owl, yeah, being yeah, in yeah. being in a cage, him being in a cage. So I th- I reckon that's it. I think they're all in their own hells, 
And even Laurie to a certain extent. Yeah. So, you know, in the joke that she says where she mentions uh, Adrian, she calls him the smartest man in the world. And she mentions Night Owl. And she mentions Dr. Manhattan. And she references how in the comic, you know, how she hates it when Dr. Manhattan can't... He he always talks when he becomes Dr. Manhattan about, like, he can't really talk about his feelings. He's like, well, you know, this always happened. This was, a, And she's like, talk about things in a normal way. Don't make me feel like, you yeah. know, that this is all predestined or whatever. But then she starts... The first joke she tells is about a girl throwing a br- throwing yeah. a brick... Well, there's well, a brick no, left over. There's a brick left house. over from this this barbecue or something that that they've made, and she then goes, "Oh God, I screwed up the joke. I'm really sorry. Here's another one." And then she starts telling the other joke. And then at the end, she links the two together because the brick comes down and kills kills God. Yeah, and she says, "You forgot about me." Is she that girl? I don't know. Maybe I feel like she's referring to herself there. Do you think? Yeah. So she's gonna somehow randomly intervene with all this and. She's the catalyst. Yeah, maybe. She's the catalyst. She's the the brick killer. But who's the god who she kills? I don't know. I don't know. That would be the question. That's the question. That's the big question. That's the big question in the episode. So what uh what what else have you got? What what theories are you rattling around that old brain? I think quite a lot of this episode is Kind of semi-treading over old ground in that Laurie's discovering what we already knew Mm. about Judd and about Tulsa and things. But we're seeing it in a new light. Most of what we learn is just that where she is now. So we learn where, as we've spoken about, where the crime busters currently are in the world. You know, you've got Aussie. And I'm glad we got confirmation about that because someone did question why we were confidently saying oh that's Aussie and why yeah. I weren't asking more about it well just in our defense like they the marketing was heavily suggesting it was him yeah I think we yeah we were if they had done a switcheroo that would have been pretty I mean they still could they still could things I are mean, weird enough I doubt they it, could. but I doubt it too it does feel like they're all in their own hells as we were talking about I don't know like big theory wise I think the funeral scene as we've spoken about definitely holds something in it because there's there's no way that wasn't pre-orchestrated and done in a way that you know even digging that tunnel mm. you know Angela refers to it as being they must have had a drill down here yeah and, and like, that, like that. all that stuff takes time it's like okay now Judd's dead so second phase of the plan but not we've killed Judd so second phase of the plan more Judd's dead and he asks us to do this as the next stage of the plan yeah because surely. It, they didn't kill Judd. We're presuming that he didn't, that Will probably did it. Yeah. I mean, we kind of, we reckon so. So, they must have known that something was going to happen. I don't know. They must have, they can't, they must have been like, oh, Judd dies. This is the plan. This is what happens. Mm. Like, put it straight into gear. If they killed him, then, oh, I've lost my train of thought. But if they, I guess if they killed him, then they would have also known to do that straight away as well. So maybe it's an argument that they did know. Or they were killing him and trying to frame someone like Will. Yeah. You know? I think it would have been difficult for them to frame him. It's it's hard. If they didn't kill him, then how did they know so quickly to get into action and do this and build the bomb suit? Yeah, but and maybe they... drill the hole. Yeah, true. 
Yeah. Unless they Judd somehow said, if I die, this is what's going to happen. This is what you do. Yeah. But maybe he maybe he's not thinking that far ahead. Maybe they just know that this is a good opportunity. Oh, I don't know. It's so fun. It's so exciting. I'm very excited for next week's episode. I still don't know if if Joe Keane's good or bad because part of it makes me think that if the Rorschach's like putting him back and trying to take him away, that maybe he's actually in on the plan there. Mm-hmm. But then another part of me is like, well, if the guy was actually wired up, which Laurie doesn't think he's going to be then why would he wire himself up if the plan was just to get the guy and make it seem like he's still good, but actually he's on their side? Do you see what I mean? Yeah, but the whole thing puts him in favour with people. Or normal people. Yeah. Yeah, it does put him in favour of normal people. You know? So it's... I don't know. Unless he was relying on Laurie to shoot him. Which is bold, considering they had to give their guns away. This all feels like too much. I don't know, maybe it does. Um, Just as a side note, the church where the judge being buried is Tartarus Acre, which is a reference to a hellish abyss in Greek mythology. Just wanted to let you know that. Um, Thank and you. The other thing I'm going to say is it's, uh, you know how Robert Redford is present in this world? John Grisham, the author, uh, there's a headline about him retiring from the Supreme Court. <laughs> so he serves as a Supreme Court leader, which I really like a lot. There's talk at the end, after the funeral, of the Russians. Oh, okay. When he's asked questions by the press and like how he's going to deal with the Russians. And he says, well, right now I'm going to deal with stuff that's going on in Tulsa, which I found quite interesting because obviously the Russians were such a big part of the original comic book. Yeah. And so what are they, what, what's happening here? Why are we got, why are the Russians being mentioned again? Bloody Russians, man. Yeah. Cause he's talking about war again with the Russians, which is quite interesting because Obviously, the point of Ozymandias' plan was to stop war around the world and mm. create world peace, which hasn't happened. It hasn't happened. His plan didn't work, which I guess implies that the plan here is probably not going to work. I doubt the plan's going to work because it would make for a very fun TV show if no. it all went according to plan. Judd's plan. He's the new... Is he the new Ozymandias trying to plan something? I don't even know. What's Ozymandias going to do when he comes back, Jacob? But I don't know if Ozymandias is going to come back. Then what's the point in just having him there and then that's got to correlate to the rest of the show. It might correlate, but I don't think he's going to, we're not going to see a scene of Ozymandias and and Angela Abar, if you ask me. Maybe not a scene between them, but he's still going to somehow impact the the main story. They can't just keep showing us stuff and not have it impact the main story. There's no way I can predict what's going to happen there. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't even want to begin to predict You're not going to try and theorise No, not, not with that Ozymandias stuff That is t- as a no, Like a non Just I don't even know It's impenetrable Okay Do you think it's Dr. Manhattan Playing games with Laurie? Uh, yeah, I do think it's Dr. Manhattan Yeah I think we're gearing up to a big Dr. Manhattan return Yeah That's going to happen soon Quite what happens when he does return I don't know Whether he returns to Tulsa or not I don't know, but it's going to stir shit up. Do you think he's against masked vigilantism and stuff like that? I reckon he doesn't have an opinion because he knows how it's all going to end. (laughs) That's what I think. he can see through it all. Yeah. Mm. He can see how it's all going to end. And that's why he has to detach because he can't... He needs... Laurie needs to know that he still cares, but for him... It, 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 all, it all doesn't matter, you know. He can't think like a human. He just struggles to do it. 
do you think he's actually getting the message that she's leaving? Yeah. This was quite a weird thing because I, when it started saying your time's running out and Dr. Manhattan will hear your message, it's like any old punter can go in and just send off a message. Yeah, that's another thing I was thinking. Do you have to have like a license to go in? Well, I was wondering if it was just like like fake, you know, like it's just a, a scam to kind of be like, oh, your money. Your like message the button is in lost. Pardon? Like the button in lost. Like the button in lost. Or not, but yeah. Or not. You know, we don't know. Like an experiment. Yeah, we we don't know. It's just... It like, does seem very well, public. I, yeah, it does seem public. But I, I was more thinking, you know, it's like a, something that's like pretend hope. like Or like a tourist attraction. Like, oh, come send your message to Dr. Manhattan. But then Mars. that car falling down right outside it, what's that? Coincidence? Well, I just presume he's listening for Laurie. Yeah. He won't be listening to the rest. Yeah. But he will be listening. It's a weird thing that anyone can just go in and do that in the middle of Atlanta. I'm sure we'll find out more about that because Triu is going to come back into play. Yeah, probably. It's done in quite a weird way because when she's making the phone call, the whole the room she's in looks pretty dodge. Yeah. It looks weird. It looks it's got weird pictures in the background as well. Yeah. You know he like walks in the sun or whatever, Dr. Manhattan. There's a picture of the sun in the background. So it's all things relating to Dr. Manhattan. It's almost like she's kitted it out to look to look Dr. Manhattan like. Well, I don't. I'm not sure if she's kitted out. I feel like it's it, again. It's like the tourist attraction thing. Do you reckon? Yeah. He, he probably gets a lot of hate mail then. Yeah, he probably does. <laughs> Where the fuck did you leave us? Yeah. Probably. Yeah. I don't think it gets to him. I don't think he, he doesn't care. Well, he doesn't care because he knows how it's all going to end. Yeah. He's just living in his glass castle on Mars. Yeah. Maybe oh. we'll go to Mars. That'll be good. Do you think we will? No. No. I don't think we're going to go. Do you think to we've Mars. got the budget? Yeah, but I don't think we're going to go to Mars. <laughs> don't think. That'll just be one step. Maybe too far. Because yeah. like Lindelof grounds things in realism. That's what. That's the beauty of, of his his work, I think. You're watching it, and it's like extraordinary things happening to ordinary people. Which is why I kind of like him doing Watchmen, because that's essentially what that is. Yeah. Uh, so going to Mars would be just maybe one, one step, step too far. Two into the fantastical and sci-fi. Oh, I don't know, though. I don't know. I don't know. I mean... What's quite interesting again is like Angela feels so small now yeah. compared to the grand conspiracy at play. Mm. You know, she is a small part. It's funny that Laurie thinks that she's working with Judd because I think she's just been played by Judd. Do you reckon? Angela's totally being played right yeah, now. Yeah, but she's going to suss it out. She's on the way to doing it. And yeah. she doesn't know if she can trust Laurie, you know? Yeah. Again, it kind of goes back to when you spoke to her about that finding the KKK suit mm. in Judd's closet, which again, that Laurie thing where she's like, I always check the closet. Quite funny. Yeah. Sometimes it just, it, you know, you find something. Yeah, exactly. But it do, it links back to that where she is still in shock that this man who she's written eulogies for and stuff has maybe just been playing her the whole time. Yeah. It's like if I was like, actually, Jacob, I'm only doing this to fuck with you. This entire podcast. But then... But then the Lost podcast as well. It was all to fuck with you. I've actually seen it nine times. Imagine that. That'd be awful. <laughs> but it'd be even harder if I found out after you went. So <laughs> she's like in a bit of a pickle because he's gone. She can't even say to him, are you, are you a racist prick? Yeah, exactly. You know? That was... that was That's very much what she was thinking or viewing her... Um, just like Angela's MO throughout the rest of the season is... I need to work this out because I trusted this guy implicitly. Yeah. And I can't even just go around to his house, knock on his door and say, what the, what is the problem here? Yeah. I mean, this episode puts a few things on the back burner as a, 
we've kind of discussed, you know, it puts the Will Reeves thing. Oh, absolutely. It puts everything on the back burner. I've got a theory that next week, I mean, it's not a theory, it's just a thought that maybe next week we're going to go back to Angela at the forefront. So what's your big prediction for what's going to happen next week? Next week, I reckon we're going to get a... I reckon we're going to find out more about the game warden. Okay. Um, in the Ozymandias scenes. I think we're going to definitely find out more about that situation. Because if you think about it, we're approaching the halfway mark this season, nine episodes. So next week, well, next week it'll be midway through five. That's the halfway point. Yeah. So it's about time we kind of find out more about the Ozymandias stuff, I think. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I hope we do. I hope we do too. What's your big, big prediction? I think we'll go back to following Angela. Yeah. For the most part. And I think Laurie will become again like the side character, almost like how Angela was in this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do wonder what she's going to find out. I don't think it's going to be anything too, too much, but maybe she'll do some digging into Laurie. Mm-hmm. I think that will be a logical step. She'll do some digging into Laurie and find out something about Laurie's past that will be like, whoa. Maybe to do a night owl. Maybe to do a night owl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe we'll see more of American Hero Story. Oh, that'd be good. I feel like we're missing it this week. So there were there were a few references. They saw week. it on the top of the, of the taxi. The taxi she gets out of. Yeah, <laughs> it must be quite surreal for She's her. Just to, like fucking hell. It's like if we went into a taxi and there was Watchmen boys written advertised <laughs> on top. It would be yeah, a bit weird. I'd love it. <laughs> I'd love it. The best thing though is I can't actually just even predict what the hell is going to happen. Like I, I have, I give it a go, but I just do not know. Where this show is going, in the best way. Yeah, it's. I, I'm enjoying it though. I love it. I know you love it. I think you, it's really good. If Damon Shat just did a shit, you would still <laughs> look love at it. that amazing piece of work. If he came to your house and did a shit in your toilet and forgot to flush, Let's you would be frame like, "Frame it! <laughs> Disgusting." Uh, where can true. people find us, Jack? People can find us at Watchmen Boys on Twitter or at Lost Boys Pod. They can find you at Jacob underscore Stoll. Correct. They can find me at Jack J. Shepherd. And on Thursday, there's going to be another Regina King interview. The last of our Regina King interviews about the events of this episode. Can't wait to listen. Yeah, it's, it's, she's just so great. Thank you to everyone for tweeting along with us, watching, yeah. rating, subscribing, all that. It's been great. Tell your friends, get everyone to listen along. We've had a great time. And yeah, hopefully enjoy the last of our Regina King interviews. Yeah, I hope you do. And uh, yeah, this has been Watching Watchmen, a Lost Boys podcast by Jack and Jacob. <laughs>